0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to our fathers today. We, uh, we appreciate you fathers. We're glad that you're here. Uh, dads, we've got a gift for you today. If you didn't get it on your way in today from our welcome team, you can find them on the way out the doors this morning. Just our way of uh, saying happy Father's Day to you, that we appreciate you uh, it's a tough Father's Day for me. It's my first one without my dad uh, since he passed away in December and um, makes us appreciate what a gift our fathers are and ultimately uh, what a gift our Heavenly Father is. Uh, we're glad that you're here today. Um, we're going to start a series for three weeks. Uh, you've got me because the other two guys are gone. They're out of the country right now. So really, this is all that's left and we're kind of... Scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit, but I'm just kidding. We, but we, uh, so, so we're going to look at uh, something we're going to call turning points for the next three weeks. I've been in ministry positions of different kinds for uh, basically since I was 16 years old, which means roughly 24 years spent in ministry. If you're good at math, you know Will turns 40 this year. That includes 13 years here at Nineveh. In that time, I think it's safe to say that there have been a few frustrations. I think one of my greatest common frustrations in ministry is this. To put it simply, over the years, I've seen many people who get it. They believe and they have faith. And yet, at the same time, I'm faced with a lot of people who just don't get it. And I think the frustration is that I can't make them get it. That I can't believe for them or, or make them come to faith. There's one who draws us to faith, and it's not me. And there's a lot of times that I, I think, if I could just you know, if I could just, I don't know, do whatever thing that I need to do to make them see, to get them to get it. And, and that's, that's simply not my job. In November of 2013, Time Magazine's weekly issue dealt with what they called, this was the title of the issue, they, they called it the moment that changed America. November 22nd, 2013 marked the 50-year anniversary of the assassination of American President John F. Kennedy. The moment which Time Magazine called a turning point in American history. The event that led uh, America, according to the article, into a darker period of doubt and turmoil. In that 50 years since the assassination of President Kennedy. And even in the years since that article was written, there have been many other turning points that have come. Events or discoveries or inventions that have changed the course of history in one way or another. The Apollo mission to the moon, the Vietnam War, the invention of the internet, Even more recently, the COVID-19 pandemic have all been turning point moments that, for good or bad, have brought many changes in our nation and in our world. You've also had turning points in your life, moments that have changed your life's course for good or for bad, good things like graduating college or beginning a career, getting married or having children, things that for the most part have changed your life for the better, but have very definitely sent it into a different direction. And perhaps there have been some other turning points too the loss of a job, major health issues, the loss of a spouse or a child or a loved one that have also turned the course of your life in a way that maybe you didn't expect. So for the next three Sundays, we're going to take a look at some of these turning point moments, we'll call it. Except we're not going to look at historical moments in time, in American history or world history. Instead, we're going to look at turning points in the ministry of Jesus that changed the lives of those who followed Him forever. And we will discover at the same time some spiritual turning points in our own walks with Christ. Those things that sometimes serve as that light bulb moment. That, that moment, that, that experience, that truth that, that brings us from maybe... A veil over our face to we get it and we see what God desires to do in our lives that mark a new understanding of faith as we follow Jesus. And so today, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there if you've got them. In fact, we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to be in John chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 35 in just a second. Uh, And we're going to look at one of those moments that I would call, especially for those who are following Jesus, we're going to call it a turning point moment in their lives. So we're in John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 35 through 51. It's on the back of your bulletin. If you're following along there, it's on the screen beside me as well. John 1 starting with verse 35. The next day... John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. First thing that Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? "'Can anything good come from there?' Nathanael asked. "'Come and see,' said Philip. "'And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said, "'Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit.' "'How do you know me?' Nathanael asked. "'Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you.' "'Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. "'You are the King of Israel.' Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May God bless today the reading of his word. Today we're going to look at a turning point moment for at least four guys as they began following Jesus. Four guys that we would be the earliest disciples of Jesus in his ministry. So if you're following along in your notes, this is where we're going to start with those fill in the blanks as we see five truths about this encounter between these men and Jesus, the Son of God. The first is this, Jesus' first disciples came to him because John pointed the way. They came to him because this whole turning point happens because John the Baptist is going to point the way to Jesus. This scene marks a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, it is the start of what we would call the ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 1, Jesus, before what we read today, Jesus is baptized by John. And in effect here, we see what is the end of John's ministry and the beginning of Jesus's. John's ministry of of repentance and baptism in the Judean wilderness is going to come to a conclusion so that we can transition into the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And notice how this transition happens. There's a lot of things we're going to jump back to in this John chapter 1 passage that we started today. And I want you to notice how this transition from John's ministry to Jesus' ministry takes place. John chapter 1, again, verses 35 through 36. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. You see, it may be a subtle moment here, but John is about to pass the reins of his ministry over to the Messiah of the world. And yet he does so by simply pointing his followers to Jesus. It may have been something as simple as, oh, hey, there's the Messiah. Oh, there's the Son of God over there. And yet it's really... Such a big thing. In fact, this is part of what John was brought to do. Look at John uh, chapter 1, this time verses 19 through 28. We're going to take a look actually at a couple of passages that happened with John the Baptist before our story this morning. This time verses 19 through 28. It says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the one, I am the excuse me I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness make straight the way for the Lord now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet I baptize with water John replied but among you stands one you do not know he is the one who comes after me The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And John says this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. You see, this is why John the Baptist came. Not to be the Messiah. It says he confessed freely that that's not who he was. He didn't even claim to be Elijah or the the other prophet. That's not why John came. But instead, to point to the Messiah who was to come. John says he confessed freely that this is not who he was, that this is not why he came. But his life was to point to the one who was coming. Later on in John chapter 3, we see another moment between John the Baptist and his disciples that gives us some insight into how John viewed his own ministry and his own purpose. Look at John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Aenon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming to be baptized. John says this was before John the Baptist was Put in prison. Verse 25 says, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. And to this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. John says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. John says that joy is mine and it is now complete. Notice this verse, church. Underline it. Circle it. John says, he must become greater, I must become less. I think this is one of the things that so many people in the church don't get. That to follow Jesus means, he must be greater, I must be less. And today, I would say to you, if you are in fact a disciple of Christ, your job is just that. Your job is not to bring others to yourself. Your job is not to show them who you are or how much you have changed because Jesus has come into your life, as if to pat you in the back for on the back for finding the Savior. No, your job is to point them to the Savior. Your job is to show them the one who saved your life. Not to show them you. That would only lead them astray. Your job, church, is to point them to Jesus. And that's what John did. John was the guy that was was written about in the book of Isaiah. If, if anybody had reason besides Jesus to, to get a little ahead of himself, it might have been John the Baptist because John's name was also in, he, he was foretold in Scripture, but not as the one who was going to save the world, but as the one who would show people Jesus when the time came. And church, that is our job today. It's not to bring people to church and it's, it's not to show them what our church is doing and it's not to get them to read the right Bible studies and the right books and hear the right preachers. It's to point them to the one who will save them from death. If you show them all the other things and miss the Savior, what are you, what are you doing? Our job is to point them to Christ. Number two, in your notes, Jesus, in the, at this point, Jesus questioned the motives of John's disciples. Notice what happens here. John says, look, there's the Lamb of God. And look what happens next, verses 37 through 38. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, I think this is just a great question. What do you want? Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, "Uh, where are you staying? I don't know if that was an important question or not. I don't know if it's one of those moments like when uh, Simon Peter is there at the transfiguration later on in the book of John, and, and he says, I don't know, we could build a house for you and Elijah and, and Moses, and uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to do with my hands kind of a thing, you know, just what, but Jesus asks them straight up, what do you want? And I think he's questioning their motives. As soon as John points the way to Jesus, two of his disciples turn from following John and instead start following Jesus. Talk about a turning point. We know later from this same passage that one of those men is Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. And many people believe the other of the two to be John, the brother of James and the author of the book we're reading this morning. And as these two guys turn to follow Jesus, notice Jesus asked them a very simple question. What do you want? It could be taken as rude, but I think really in effect, Jesus is questioning the motives of those who are following to turn him, or are turning to follow him. In fact, you'll notice that Jesus, if if you watch Jesus in his ministry, he does this kind of thing very often. He questions motives quite a bit. Let me show you just a couple of examples Uh, First in Matthew chapter 19 Verses 16 and 17 It says Just then a man came up and asked Jesus Teacher what good thing must I do To get eternal life And look at what Jesus says In response to that question Why do you ask me about what is good? I don't think Jesus is questioning whether or not he's the one that should be answering this question. I think he's questioning why this guy wants to know. Why are you asking me this question? Is it so that that I can say, give an answer, and make you think that you're good enough? Is it so that I can give you the thing that you need to feel like you're doing the right things? Or do you really want to know what the answer is? By the way, this guy, Rich Young Ruler... He walks away sad when Jesus tells him that the answer is give up what you got and give it to the Lord. There's another chance, uh, another time here in Mark chapter 8 verses 11 through 13. Let's look at just one more place where Jesus questions the motives. This time the Pharisees, it says, came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Jesus sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? What's the motive? What's the reason here? Do you think you believe just because you see? Do you want to see me do tricks out in the desert? What's going on here? He says, truly I tell you, no sign will be given it. And then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Jesus did a lot of signs and wonders in his ministry. He wasn't against doing signs, but he knew what the motives in the hearts of these Pharisees were. And at the same time, these guys who will become disciples and followers of Jesus, he starts by saying, why are you following me? And today, church, it's a good question for us to ask. It's a, it's a good chance for us to question our motives. Why are you here today? Why do you come on Sundays to church when you could be doing other stuff? Is it because you were raised that way? Is it because your, your parents made uh, uh, an effort to put you in church every week? And if so, is that a good enough motive for following Jesus? Is it because it's the thing that people do? Is it because this is where the people gathered on Sunday morning? Is it because it's a tradition and it's a ritual? It's it's an obligation? Because some of you walk into church like it's an obligation. Or is this a thing that you can't help but do? Because Jesus, the Son of God, has come into your life and saved your life. And where else would I be? Because those two sides of that coin are truly going to affect what following Jesus looks like for you. What are your motives? Why are you here? Why are you following Jesus? Were these guys just curious? Maybe. Notice he never really calls them on it beyond that, but he raises the question. He never really says, oh, your motives aren't good, go away. But he raises the question. Maybe it was just curiosity, but notice what happens next. Number three. In this moment, Jesus extended them a simple invitation. Verses 38 through 39, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon truth is that nothing that Jesus does or says in this passage seems huge or earth shaking in in the scheme of things and yet this was the turning point day for these men who would follow Jesus with their lives and who would eventually lay down those same lives for Jesus and for the gospel and how does it start? Jesus simply says come and see we don't know where Jesus was staying at this point. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't directly answer that question. Not as recorded by John. And if John's one of those two dudes that asked that question, chances are John would know where Jesus was staying. But that's not the point. You know what the point is? You get the chance to come see not just what I'm, where I'm staying, but what I'm doing and why I'm here. And church, I think if we understood that we every day had the chance to see what Jesus was doing, even today, even now, even here in our lives in which we, we live, discipleship would look a lot different. Coming to church would be a lot different if we came not in obligation, not out of duty, but out of anticipation for seeing what Jesus desires to do today. Because that's what these guys got to do. How do you go from come and see? How do you go from that simple invitation to dropping everything in your life and giving your life to follow Jesus? How do you go from just a little bit of curiosity when John points out the way to the Messiah to really getting it. Because just because just you're here on Sunday, just because you're watching online, just because you check Christian on the box every so often, doesn't mean that you get it. How do you come from come and see to truly following Jesus with your life? Did you see it? It was in the verse we just read. You see what the turning point was? Did you see what the thing was that hooked them? It's the next line in your notes. Time spent with Jesus turned their questions into faith. Time spent with Jesus turned their questions into faith. Verse 39, we won't read it again, but we read it just a moment ago. And John told us that when they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they spent the day with him. Don't miss the significance of that. If this is a moment that turns these guys' lives around, then I believe this is where the the reason is. Because they had the chance to spend the day with the Lamb of God. Look at verses, look at, look at what the reaction and what the, the consequence uh, is of that simple statement. This time in verses 40 through 41. Let's see the result. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the first two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The First thing that Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Andrew, Andrew here goes into, goes in a short amount of time from following Jesus, or from following John, rather, to following Jesus. And now, Andrew believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah. How does that happen in one day? How How does it happen from following John to John says, oh, look, there goes the Lamb of God. Asking where he's staying. And all of a sudden, by the end of this day, Andrew believes that this is the the guy that Scriptures have promised is coming? How does that kind of a thing happen? Let's look at another one. In verses 47 through 51, here's another example. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching... He said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were standing under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see even greater things than that. And then he added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let me ask you this How much time does it take for Nathaniel to turn from a skeptic into a believer? You see, Andrew at least got the chance to spend the day with Jesus. What does it take for Nathaniel to turn from a skeptic into a believer? Because these guys are spending time with Jesus. Because these guys are hearing what Jesus has to say. Because Jesus, was was it about the fig tree thing? No, one of those guys could have told him that. It was about who this guy was. This, This was about being in the presence of the Son of God. And you've got four guys... Andrew, John, Philip, Nathaniel, whose day started out in a totally different direction than they ever thought it would go. You ever have one of those days where you thought it was going to go one way and didn't none of that happen? And yet in this one day, these guys go from following their own thing, following John in a couple of cases, to following after the one who would lay down his life for the sins of the world. And so today, I know that some of you get it. And I would say that there's probably some who don't. Or maybe you did. Maybe it's a case of your life in following Christ has grown stagnant or complacent. The same old routine, the thing that gives us life becomes the same old routine, going through the motions and not really living in a walking relationship with God. It's it's as if we know what's right. You know, we, we, we get to the point where we just know all the right answers and yet and so sometimes we're walking out of routine and not out of faith, not out of relationship with God. And so to you today, if you're in any one of those places today, I would ask you simply, how much time are you spending with Jesus? Because you know what? It took the afternoon to change those guys' lives. It took one conversation with Nathaniel before Nathaniel went from saying, Nazareth, you can't tell me that this guy's going to be from Nazareth to saying, you are the son of God. One conversation with Jesus. One afternoon with Jesus. How much time are you spending with him? Or is your time with Jesus getting choked out by all the other stuff? Is it getting choked out even by the things that you think it means to follow Jesus? There's a story later in, in uh, the book of John where Matthew and uh, or no, where Mary and Martha, Jesus is at their house. You know what Martha does? Martha tells on her sister, and Martha says, "Jesus, please tell my sister to come cook in the kitchen with me so that you guys can have some lunch." And you know what? I'm, I am Martha through and through. She is cooking the meals. I am printing the registration reports for VBS. And, and sometimes you got to say, Jesus is in your house. And you're missing it because of all the other things. Church today, don't miss that Jesus Desires to live in your house and in your heart. And church, that is a turning point of all turning points because time spent with Jesus turns questions into faith. Time spent with Jesus transformed the lives of these men and it continues to do so for those who walk in relationship with him this wasn't just a first century kind of thing this wasn't just for the first 12 that apply sort of a deal this is for anyone who comes and knows jesus as messiah will have life jesus says even if they die church this is no small thing this is life and this is life through jesus and so you see, this realization, this knowing who, that Jesus is who He says He is, and knowing Jesus personally and spending time with Jesus will be a turning point in your life. Just as it was in the lives of these men who left John that day to follow Jesus. Last line, and here's where it ends. Here's where this turning point, what it turns into Jesus' ministry then, when they got it, when they saw who He was, when they knew why He was worth following, Jesus' ministry then became a ministry of multiplication. It became a ministry of multiplication. Look at what happens in verses 41 and 42. It says, the first thing that Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Do you see it? Do you see what's happening here? Do you see how these two men leaving John and following Jesus, what that's going to become? Andrew doesn't keep it to himself. Andrew goes and finds his brother. And guess what? That brother is going to become the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. That brother is also going to lay his life down for Jesus and for the gospel. Oh, that our eyes would see what Jesus is doing here. Look at John this time, verses one forty-three, uh, chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, Jesus said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What does, Nazareth, what does Philip say? Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? That's what Nathaniel asked. And what does Philip say? Come and see. Come and see. Do you see it? It's not just that Philip gets it. But now because Philip gets it, Philip is extending that same invitation for someone else to get it. You see, Jesus is not the only one that can say, come and see. In fact, Philip turns around and and even when he's rebuffed, you know what? Even when this guy says, Nazareth, what are you talking about, Nazareth? What does Philip say? Just come see. Just just come see for yourself. Does he set into a debate telling him why Nazareth is the right place for the Messiah to come from and why Nazareth is not as bad a town as you think? No, Philip says, just come see for yourself. Just come see what I've seen. A few chapters later in John chapter 4, we see a similar encounter with Jesus. This time, believe it or not, with A woman. That's a much bigger deal in that day. This time, believe it or not, with a Samaritan woman who was a Gentile woman at the well in John chapter 4. She spends part of her afternoon speaking with the Savior of the world. And you know what happens in response? Look at John chapter 4 verses 28 through 29. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This wasn't a Jewish man. This wasn't a disciple of John the Baptist. This wasn't somebody that had him point the way right here. You know what? This lady saw Jesus and this lady through spending time with Jesus knew this guy is going to change my life. And John also records more about this woman. He records what happens as a result because of the example of this Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, Jesus, to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, Get this, church. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. These are Samaritans. These are the guys that the disciples said, "Uh, Jesus, I don't know if you know, but you're not supposed to be really talking with this lady. I'm not sure if you know about this woman here that you're speaking with, and this woman goes from living a life of sin to leaving her town to know Jesus. Not because she had anything good. In fact, anybody that knew this woman knew she didn't have anything, but she had an encounter with Jesus that changed her life. And church, if you have nothing to your name, if you have nothing to speak for, no assets to write down, but you have had an encounter with Jesus that changes your life, then you have everything. Now, are you keeping it to yourself? Or are you sharing it with the world? Do you get it? Do you see? This is how churches grow. It's not because of programs. It's not because of preachers. It's not because of where they're at or their music. It's because those who know Jesus and spend time with Jesus can't help but sharing it. They can't keep it in. It multiplies. And they spread it to their friends and their loved ones. And eventually... They get it. Not because they said the right things. Not because there, there's something in them. No, but because of Jesus. In church today, I say, it doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to go out with tracks or some big plan of salvation mapped out with steps to bring that person to Christ. You don't have to have, and this is why so many people hesitate, church, you don't have to have the answers to their questions. You don't have to be able to say uh, in response to all these things that might say. Do you know what you have to say? What if all it took was come and see? You know what? I don't have the answer to that question, but come and see. I know somebody who does. We're getting hung up by bringing people to Jesus because we think we're not enough. In church, we're not enough. All but all I've got to do is say, come and see a guy that knows me for who I am and he still desires to save me. Let's let's go find the answers together in Jesus. I'm not the guy, but let me introduce you to him. Church, that's how the ministry of Jesus multiplied. That's how churches grow. It's not because of the people that are there or the ideas that they have. It's because this has come from the life giver. And church, in that moment in your life, when you get it, the question is, are we going to keep it? are we going to share it? But, because if you got it, I'm going to ask Corey and the band to come out as we close today. Because here's the thing, church. If you, if you got it and you understood what that encounter has done for your life, that it has taken me from one who was owed nothing but death to one who is now promised eternal life, you would share it. And you would stop letting your limitations or that person's sin keep you from sharing what could save that person. The question is, do, do we have it? Because I can't share with somebody else something that I don't have. And so today, church, if I am living a life that knew that truth, but it's just kind of just become routine, and it's just kind of become that thing that I used to have, then church, run back to the feet of the one who knows you for who you are, who knows that you've fallen away, and still desires to be the Lord of your life. Come back to the feet of the one who saves you. And after you spent some time with him after you've poured back time into your relationship with him, then go tell somebody who needs to know. Come and see the guy that saved my life. So today the invitation is open. Before the invitation, I want I, I want to give you a challenge. Because I know how it is to be busy. I know how it is to to find that you're not spending as much time with Jesus as you once did. And so I'm asking the church at Nineveh this week to do one thing. Well, maybe two things, we'll see. To do one thing this week. I want you to read the Gospel of John chapter 1 every day this week. Now, if you haven't been spending a lot of time with Jesus, then this is it. You commit this week... To read John chapter 1, it's not much, one chapter a day. And if you're the kind of person that has all kinds of scripture and stuff that you read throughout the day, you already got studies, then guess what? One chapter is not going to hurt you either. John chapter 1, each day this week. And let's encounter Jesus again. Let's encounter Jesus for who he is. Let's see the guy that changed these guys' lives, that changed the lives of the world. And thing number two... You be praying about who is it that God desires for you to invite? Who is it that God desires for you to say, come and see? Maybe that means bringing them to church, but maybe it just means showing them what God's doing in your life. That we could not only have life, but that we could extend that to someone else through inviting them to the life giver church, that is a turning point. And so today, on Father's Day, we stand, we worship the good father. We worship the one who has given us life through his son. And church, if he's calling you today, don't waste this opportunity to come and see